Well, praise the Lord, everybody. I am Evangelist Janice Nelson, and I want to welcome you to season three of Broken Vessels Mended and Whole, a weekly women's Bible study podcast. Today is Sabbath Sunday, September 11th, the year of our Lord, 2022. In this Bible study podcast, we address various issues that break the spirit of women and then seek to promote women's spiritual wholeness and well-being with lessons learned from the word of God. Ladies, let's pray. Our God and our Father, we bow our heads and humble ourselves before your throne of mercy and of grace. As we begin our Bible study, we ask you to join us in the study of your word. Anoint my lips of clay so that your word goes forth in spirit and in truth. Hide me behind the shadow of your cross so that you only are seen and heard in this Bible study. Will you bind the powers of the spirit of darkness so that not one evil deed is met against this ministry or these your people? Bless each person within the sound of my voice and be ye glorified. In Jesus' name, I ask all these things and I give you thanks even now in advance for answered prayer. Count it as done by faith and in accordance with your word. Amen. Ladies, today we continue our Bible study on the book of Ezekiel. This is a book that many women may not want to read, first because it is a difficult book to read, and second because many identify Ezekiel as a misogynist, meaning someone who despises or is strongly prejudiced against women. They have arrived at this conclusion based on um, the sexually explicit imagery and several chapters of the book of Ezekiel, particularly chapters 16 and 23, where some of the imagery is violent and abusive against women. It's going to take us quite a bit of time to work our way through the entire book of Ezekiel, and we will do chapters 16 and 23 together because of the nature of the text. But I hope you will hang in there with me as we work our way through this interesting text because there is more to Ezekiel's sexually violent imagery than that which first meets the eye. I fully recognize that this text and its long history of interpretation has done some serious and irrevocable harm to women. But we must still question what drove Ezekiel to write such sexually violent imagery? And what were the historical, sociological, and cultural forces in play at the time of Ezekiel's writing that make these images symbolically and rhetorically powerful today? When we come back, we're going to continue our study on the book of Ezekiel with part three of a four-part series examining texts from Ezekiel chapters 8 through 11. We will continue our study of this series today in Ezekiel chapter 10. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. Today we continue our Bible study on the book of Ezekiel with a three part or with part three of a four part series examining texts from Ezekiel chapters eight through 11 titled Visions of the Temple, Abominations, and Ethical Abuses. We begin our study today in Ezekiel chapter 10. I'm not going to read all of the verses of the chapter because they are rather long, but I will refer to them as we work our way through the text for your future reference. And I will either read from the King James Version or the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. Ladies, by way of review, in chapter 9, which we studied last week, the time for repentance has passed, and no ungodly person would be spared the wrath of God. God summoned the executioners of the city, saying to them, Draw near, you executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in his hand. And the city we are talking about is Jerusalem. Six executioners came armed with their weapons of destruction in hand, ready to slaughter the inhabitants of the city. And the Bible says that among these six men was a man clothed in linen with a writing case at his side. And then God said to him, go through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the forehead of those who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. These were the people who were disgruntled about the abominations and ethical abuses committed by the people of God. They are to receive a remark on their forehead, which would identify them as being a protected class. The mark was a towel which is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it is drawn in the shape of an X. This protective mark is reminiscent of the identifying mark that God put on Cain in Genesis chapter 4, verse 15, as well as the blood smeared on the doorposts and lintels in the Passover narrative found in Ezekiel chapter 12, excuse me, Exodus chapter 12, verses 22 through 23. God then commanded the executioners to go through the city and kill all who did not have the towel mark on their forehead. Then the wrath of God was poured out against the ungodly because of their idolatries and sin in a brutal slaughter by six men known as executioners of the city who in obedience to God went out and killed without hesitation in the city. The destruction in Ezekiel chapter nine is associated with divine catastrophes such as famine, flood, or warfare. And it signifies the survivors who will form the nucleus of God's future redemptive activity. In verse nine, Ezekiel says, he, that would be God, said to me, the guilt of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great. 
The land is full of bloodshed and the city is full of perversity. For they say, the Lord has forsaken the land and the Lord does not see. As for me, my eye will not spare, nor will I have pity, but I will bring down their deeds upon their heads. Then the man, clothed in linen, with the writing case in his hand, brought back words saying to God, I have done as you commanded me. So those who remained of Israel do not include the Babylonian exiles, but rather only those left in Jerusalem. And that brings us up to date. So let's unpack Ezekiel chapter 10. Ladies, Ezekiel chapter 10 verses 1 through 8 is full of telephony, imagery of clouds, brightness, fire, and the thundering sound of winged cherubim. In biblical tradition, the cloud of divine glory is associated with the manifestation of God in judgment before all of Israel at the entrance of the temple. So see um, Numbers chapter 14, verse 10 and chapter 16, verse 19. So that in this regard, the vision develops a familiar biblical tradition. However, Scholars tend to debate whether Ezekiel chapter 10 depicts judgment or cleansing. In verses 1 and 2, Ezekiel says, Then I looked, and behold, in the firmament that was above the head of the cherubims, there appeared over them as it were a sapphire stone, as the appearance of the likeness of a throne. And he spake unto the man clothed in linen and said, go in between the wheels, even under the cherubim and fill thine hand with coals of fire from between the cherubims and scatter them over the city. And he went in, in my sight. So Ezekiel witnessed this. Some see the man clothed in linen as a priestly figure, and they interpret this scattering of coals of fire or scattering coals of fire over the city as an act of purification. But in the biblical tradition, Fire from heaven is associated with the judgment of wicked people. See Psalms chapter 11, verse 6, where David talks about the destiny of the wicked. And Psalm 140, verse 11, which is David's prayer regarding the wicked. It has also been associated with the judgment of cities. See Genesis chapter 19, verse 24. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Here in Ezekiel chapter 10, it seems more likely that the actions of the man clothed in linen is a sign or warning of the city's impending destruction rather than its purification. Ezekiel chapter 10 verses 3 through 8 presents some challenges. They read, now the cherubim stood on the right side of the house when the man went in and the cloud filled the inner court. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and stood over the threshold of the house. 
and the house was filled with the cloud and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. The first challenge of Ezekiel chapter 10 verses three through eight is that there seems to be a repetition in verse four of the movement of the divine glory from the cherub to the threshold of the house. But remember uh, in Ezekiel chapter, Ezekiel chapter nine, verse three says, now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub on which it rested to the entryway of the temple. So the divine glory had already taken that position and had not moved from there in the meantime. So the identical movement in chapter 10, verse four presents a problem. We can resolve this problem by reading Ezekiel chapter four, uh, chapter 10, verse four, as a continuation of the circumstantial clause in Ezekiel chapter 10, verse three, because the narrative action stops after verse two and does not resume until verse six. In this way, the tense, T-E-N-S-E, of verse four can be coordinated with the implied tense of verse three. And all of verses three through five can then be read as a description of theophany elements, which have been present since the divine glory first moved from the cherub in Ezekiel chapter nine, verse three, which says, I just read it, but I'll read it again. Now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub on which it rested to the entryway of the temple. Interestingly, the placement of the Tanaphany in Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 4, but not in Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 3, differentiates the manifestation of God from the action of the executioners. A second challenge of Ezekiel chapter 10, verses 3 through 8, is evident in the report in Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 3, which says that now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the house when the man went in and a cloud filled the inner court. This is even though the man's interest is not reported until Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 6. In both of these cases, first, the movement of the divine glory of God up from the cherub, and second, the cloud filling the inner court of the temple, the effect is to deny the theophanetic or the theophany and, um, importance of the executioners and to associate it first and foremost with the cherubim and their location in the court. Structuring the Ezekiel narrative in this way might explain why the cherub throne is brought up at this point in the vision. Notice that up until this point, Ezekiel has spoke only of having seen the divine glory in the courtyard. See Ezekiel chapter eight, verse four, which says, and the glory of the God of Israel was there like the vision that I had seen in the valley or of a single cherub upon which God rested. See Ezekiel chapter nine, verse three, which says, now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub on which it rested to the entryway of the temple. 
Now in Ezekiel chapter 10, verses one and two, for the first time, Ezekiel speaks of the throne above the cherubim. He says, then I looked and above the dome that was over the heads of the cherubim, there appeared above them something like a sapphire in form resembling a throne. He said to the man clothed in linen, go within the wheel work underneath the cherubim, fill your hands with burning coals from among the cherubim and scatter them over the city. He went in as I looked. So again, Ezekiel is bearing witness to this. This language brings to mind Ezekiel's vision in chapter one, verse 26. It is not clear to me why Ezekiel introduces the wheeled cherubim throne only here and not earlier, except that perhaps it becomes important to the narrative only at this point. From a theological perspective, the reference of the throne establishes a connection between the cherubim and God and implies that the cloud filling the court is a manifestation of God's power. The third and final challenge of Ezekiel chapter 10 verses three through eight is that amongst the display of divine power, the man clothed in linen disappears from the narrative. He is seen for the first time in Ezekiel chapter 10 verse seven when he goes out from the cherubim. Now note that he is not seen feeling, uh, fulfilling God's second command, nor is he heard reporting to God that he has completed the task as he did in Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 11. This distinctive structuring of Ezekiel chapter 10, verses 1 through 8, denies autonomy or independent power to the seven overseers of the city. The seven overseers, remember, are the six executioners of the city and the man clothed in linen, um, carrying a writing case. In Ezekiel chapter 10, verses 9 through 14, Ezekiel sees the wheels beside the cherubim, and the description he gives recalls the initial account of the living beings in Ezekiel chapter 1, with a few important differences that I want to point out. First, the description and the language used in chapter 10 is not as convoluted or complex as it is in chapter 1. In chapter 10, we get the impression that Ezekiel sees the cherubim clearly and describes them explicitly because he had no, he no longer speaks generally of them as living beings, but he calls them cherubim. Ezekiel heard or hears God call the creatures cherubim in verses two and six, and he sees them in a familiar context. Verse two says, he said to the man clothed in linen, go within the wheel work underneath the cherubim, fill your hands with burning coals from among the cherubim. And verse six says, when he commanded the man clothed in linen, take fire from within the wheel work from among the cherubim. Secondly, the cherubim look like heavenly beings, look less like heavenly beings and more like cult 
furniture. Remember that in chapter one, we read about bizarre configurations of living beings, wheels and fires. These same elements are present in Ezekiel's vision in chapter 10. Verses 12 through 14 says, and as for their appearance, the four looked alike, something like a wheel within a wheel. When they moved, they moved in any of the four directions without veering as they moved. But in whatever direction the front row faced, the others followed without veering as they moved. Their entire bodies, backs, hands, and wings were covered with eyes all around, as were the wheels of the four of them. As for the wheels, they were called in my hearing, the wheel work. Each of them had four faces. The first face was that of a cherub. The second face was that of a human. The third, that of a lion. And the fourth, that of an eagle. So we see the cherub and the wheels beginning to merge together. And both are decorated with eyes. And the wheels seem to have bodies that include rims, spokes, wings, and faces. This kind of transformation might be reasonable if Ezekiel is describing a wheeled cult stand. Also, the mysterious fire flashing between the living beings in Ezekiel chapter 1 seems more realistically described in chapter 10 as coals of fire. So that when Ezekiel is in the more familiar context of the temple, the obscure imagery of chapter one settles into a more familiar form of a cult stand that is equipped with a brazier or a pan holding burning coals. In Ezekiel chapter 10, verses 15 through 22, we see the divine glory preparing to depart the city. Now, in Near Eastern thought, a city could not be destroyed unless its God had abandoned it. In our text, God still remains in the vicinity of the temple, although his departure is imminent and his overseers are left to complete their mission to scatter burning coals or coals of fire upon the city to destroy it. Ezekiel concludes this section of the vision by confirming that the cherubim were the same creatures he saw by the Shabar River. The commentator Charles Feinberg said that the final word is that every cherub went straight forward, thus proclaiming the impossibility of thwarting or frustrating the plans of God to destroy the city by scattering coals of fire throughout it. They kept their object and mission undeviatingly before them at all times. So the overseers on the command of God are about to destroy the city of Jerusalem by fire. And this is our cliffhanger. 
We will pick this up again next week when we look at Ezekiel chapter 11 and complete our four-part study on the visions of the temple, abominations, and ethical abuses, part four. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. If this ministry has been a blessing to you and you want to support it, we have several ways in which you can do that. First, by the Tithely app at Broken Vessels, Mendon and Hope. Second, at Givelify, G-I-V-E-L-I-F-Y.com. You may donate to Broken Vessels, hyphen, Mendon and Hope. Or you may mail whatever gifts of love you feel led to give to Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. We are a 501c3 nonprofit religious organization located at P.O. Box 34637 in Los Angeles, California, 90034. Please join me next week as we continue our Bible study on the book of Ezekiel right here on Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. And don't forget, to check in with me on Facebook Live at Evangelist Janice, that's J-A-N-I-S, Nelson, today at 12 noon Pacific Daylight Time. In the meantime, take good care and may God continue to bless you. Amen. Oh, bless you.